Good morning, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Down by Law with your fantastic, your amazing, your wonderful, your your I'm, I'm extremely humble. I'm running a lot of accolades right now that make it sound like I'm a little arrogant, but I'm really not. I'm a very humble guy. Daryl A. Gray. Uh, we are here again to give you an exciting episode of Down by Law. Located and recorded in the wonderful studios of WOK, the brand new studio of WBOK, located on Xavier's campus in Midtown, New Orleans, the historic campus of Xavier University. Down by law, 504-582-9422. We have a ton of guests today. And one of the reasons being is that Saturday is election day, so make sure you get out and vote. Get out and vote. We had a lot of people make tremendous sacrifices for us to be able to have a voice at the table, a seat at the table, for us to be treated with some fairness and some dignity. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna run the gamut here a little bit in this first segment because we're gonna have a couple of guests first, and then we're gonna switch out and bring on a couple of more people. Um, and like I said, it's kind of a, it's, it's an interesting little dynamic because we have an extension of some of the sacrifices that were made for, uh, black people here in new Orleans. We have one of our favorite New Orleanians, Miss Tate, Miss Tate, say good morning to everybody. They know who you are. I just want you to go ahead and <laughs> good morning. Just, just, just tell everybody who you are one time. Good morning. I'm Leona Tate. I'm, um, right now the executive director for the Leona Tate foundation for change. And soon to be the Tate Etienne and Prevost Interpreter Center. Um, I am one of the four six-year-old girls that desegregated the New Orleans public school system in 1960 on November 14th. Miss Tate, we're so happy to have you back. And you got some exciting news that you're going to give us. We're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. And um, y'all have a, a pretty huge anniversary coming up. Give everybody your give everybody the social media uh, um, accounts and IDs for um, your organization and yourself. TEP is what? What's, what's y'all's uh, Instagram? It's TEP is our last names. It was three of us that attended McDonald 19. Um, Tate, Etienne, and Prevost. I'm Leona Tate. It was Gail Etienne and Tessie Prevost. And I always promised them years ago that if I got my hands on that building, it would be named after us. And it not wow. getting our ways. <laughs> wow. Yes. That's wonderful. And wait, did you get an Instagram? <laughs> what's the Instagram? Everything's Leona Tate Foundation. Leona Tate Foundation. And um, we're going to come back to you because we're going to talk about some of the exciting things you guys have coming up here um, shortly. But we're going to kick it. Like I said, we're going to spin it from what you did back in the day to help us get to a point to where we got somebody like Freddie King who's here in studio with us today running for District C. Woo! He's on the ball. He's on the ball, y'all. Freddie, give it. Introduce everybody. Uh, in, introduce yourself to everybody. And let them know who you are, and, and uh, give them your background, and then your social media contacts and your website for your campaign. Good morning. My name is Freddie King III, running for City Council District C, number forty-six. Born and raised in the district. Born and raised in Algiers. Went to the playgrounds in Algiers, Norman Park, where I grew up playing playing park ball, went to the schools, Baby Ben, All Saints. Finished from from um, from Shaw High School, where I went to Southeastern in Hammond, 
where I uh, play football there and, and players from Mega Side Five, Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, met my wife, and from there went to Southern University Lawson in Baton Rouge. And once I finished law school, I moved back home because you know this is where I wanted to be. This is where I'm from. And after I passed the bar exam, I started my own law firm, the King Law Firm. Did that for a few years, just solely did that. In 2014, got got into politics, and I was a constituent service director for District C for three years and stopped doing that in 2017 to focus solely on my law practice. And um, been doing that ever since then. Four kids, three girls, and a boy. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm raising them in, in a district, raising them in Algiers, and, and that's that's part of the reason why I want to run, why I'm running to to ensure not only them but other children have a, a bright future. So that, that's just a little bit about myself. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Did you give everybody your social media handles, your campaign website? How can we, how can they get in touch with you and get more information they want to read up on on Mr. Freddie King? Um, social media, Freddie King, I I I. That's the Instagram, okay. Instagram account. That's Facebook as well. Electfreddyking.com. It's the it's the um it's a website. Freddie, what what position did you play? Play defensive end. Okay, okay, good deal. Well, we're glad to have you here. We're going to ask you a little bit about what's going on in the, uh, the election and what you you know what you bring to the table and what your voice is going to do for District C. But we also have another guest here, Tremaine. Tremaine, run, run your information. You, you know you're my girl, right? <laughs> Hello, I'm glad to be back here with you. Um, my name is Tremaine Riley. I'm here on behalf of the Leona Tate Foundation. Currently, I serve as the program director for the organization, and I am here just in, in efforts to support Ms. Tate as well as Gail Etienne and Tate, Tessie Prevost in their efforts to really get McDonough 19 back up and running. Wow. Freddie, before we start, like that, bouncing this conversation back and forth. How awesome is it uh, to have Miss Tate here and all that she did for the city of New Orleans? Like, just living, living legends. Living legend. Um, so, good morning, Miss Tate. I'm sorry I didn't say that originally. Um, but it's it's, a, it's very humbling to have a piece of history in your presence. So, thank you for all you. <laughs> thank you for all you. Uh, Trailblazer. Nah, I appreciate that. You, uh, you paved the way. Trailblazer, so thank you for your work. I couldn't imagine being six years old. I have a daughter that's six, and I, I could not imagine her doing that. I know, that's, man. <laughs> that's, I always, I'm just fascinated. And the way she, you know, the 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 dignity and the, uh, her presence, it's, all, it's just it's powerful. It's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, one of those things. And when you, you change the world, you know, we're talking about history that's, that's well documented, well known, and you as a six year old child uh, stood uh, up to a wave of racism and uh, degradation and just you know some of the nastiest things that you know it was one of the nastiest points in the history of our country. And you know, as a six year old, not only did you go through that process, but you've lived that legacy and you've kept that that um, that situation and the sacrifice alive and I'm, I'm honored to have you here i'm so glad to hear you know you guys are having a big weekend i want you to talk about that and let the uh, listeners know how they can uh, participate and be a part of what you guys are doing 
Tell us. So, so what? What's going on? You got a you got an anniversary weekend coming up? Oh, yeah, it's the sixty first year. Six. That was sixty one years ago. ago. Yeah. See, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't peg you as a, a day over forty. I, so, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> they say black don't crack. They say black don't crack. But all the way, all the only thing that, t- that, that gives you away is the fact that you know we know when the events took place. That's all. That's all we can, we can peg your age. I'm just saying. That's just me. Nah, I had a brother-in-law that used to say, everybody in the world know how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a big weekend coming. Um, it's really been, most of it's been planned by Deidre and uh, with the um, New Orleans for Legacy Project. So if you will even go on that website, you can see the list of events. Friday night is um, a viewing of a, a tribute that she wrote. Um, Saturday, we're really... Just getting, taking a break. Taking a break and getting things <laughs> ready, ready for, for Sunday. Sunday. Um, Sunday morning is a highlight for me. It'll be at my church, um, the <clears throat> Abundant Life Tabernacle at 1701 St. Claude. My pastor's Tyrone Jefferson, the bishop designate Tyrone Jeff- G. Jefferson, okay. Jr. And um, 930, we're inviting people out to service. Um, you can go online and register. Um, we are COVID-protected and... Um, and after that, we're going to do a motorcade to the school, back to the school. The three of us will be together. And we'll be greeted by the U.S. Marshals at the school, wow. in front of the school building. And wow. Now, now, let's make it clear, not the marshals that escorted them. <laughs> you know. It's but not that kind one of, of them was, huh? so one of us, one of them is still with us, yeah. but he's not, he won't be here this time. Wow. Yeah, so what, what, so what, <clears throat> have you, have you, did you maintain a relationship with those marshals? Because they were, how long were they with you guys doing that? Because you, this was the whole school year, right? They weren't with us the whole school year. They were with us practically the whole school year, <laughs> but, um, um, we didn't make, I, I didn't get to see them again until after 50 years. You know, wow. we had a celebration for the 50 year anniversary and we were reunited with them. And it was like, when I walked in a room, I knew who they were. You know, it was like, <laughs> you know. So, so how, how was the treatment? Like what, tell us, tell us about how they went when you guys were, the marshals with, were, were with mm-hmm, you guys every mm-hmm. day. Cause I know they kind of helped, they escorted you guys to school and they kind of, what did they stand outside the classrooms? Were they in the classrooms? No, they were in the building. We okay. found this out in 2010. They were in the building the entire day, but we didn't see them during the day. We only saw them when they arrived at our homes to pick us up. And at the door sill, we were never allowed to cross the door sill until they were there to, to take us home. Wow. Yeah. So wow. we only saw them twice a day, and they were very, very, they did their job. They were very protective, very kind. Um, I was never afraid to ride alone. My mother was only with me the first day. So we, had, we were in three separate cars. Mm, mm, mm. And look, I know we, you know, you've been on the show. We've talked about this before, but it's just such, it's such a, you know, I, mean, I, I get chills just thinking about it. So you, and you guys, what was the, the classroom process like? Or why, how was, how was the class, how were the classrooms set up for you all? Well, when we arrived, um, you know, we had it was to just you guys, though, right? It was the three of us, yeah. yeah. And with our parents, when we arrived, we were just um, we had to go to the principal's office to get registered. That's what you did in those days, okay? But they didn't um, um, greet us well. They asked us to take a seat on this bench, and we sat there half the day before they even thought about even putting us in the classroom. Once we did get placed in the classroom. You know, school was already in session because we went in November. Um, 
they kind of started pulling them out. By 3 o'clock, we were the only three <laughs> students in the entire building for a year and a half. For a year and a half. Yeah. A whole school, they were so so dedicated and so staunch about not, you know, letting you guys be educated with their kids mm-hmm. that they pulled the kids out for a whole year and a half. Three kids in the whole school. That's insane. Never sanctioned for it. Wow, wow, wow. Good morning. Good morning. Deidre. Am I saying that right? Deidre. Deidre. How are you? I'm great. Now, you, you're, oh. let's, I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself to the, to the listening <laughs> audience. Uh, so go ahead and do that, and we're going to weave you into what Ms. Tate is talking about. Uh, my name is Deidre Meredith. I am uh, born and raised in New Orleans. I just moved back to uh, New Orleans in 2018. Uh, one of the main things that I decided to focus on is as a producer uh, to tell the full story and the contextualize the New Orleans resistance movement and to contextualize that it was four girls on November 14, 1960, and to tell the full account through creating the New Orleans Four Legacy Project. Okay. So so let's let's elaborate on that. Let's talk a little bit more about it. When you when you took on this project and you were doing research, what was the one thing that you wanted to convey to the because you, you're doing a, a documentary, right? It's a tribute special, and then it's going to move into a documentary. Move into a documentary. And then go into a full biopic film. Wow. Yes. I love it. That, and and it's, it's completely overdue, and I can't wait because, you know, the sacrifice that you guys made is definitely something that, that needs to be fully uh, um, put out there for everybody to see. So tell yes. me what the, the, one, the, the main tenets that you wanted to touch on when you uh, started working on this project. Well, the main tenets is that, uh, first of all, my mom said, to make sure you help your Auntie Leona. And I said, okay. <laughs> when she said, let's take a ride and let's go. And, and she took me to McDonald's 19. It was boarded up. And I said, that's what my mama think I can help you with. I said, Lord. <laughs> I said, okay. Uh, but I knew as a producer what I could do is create something to raise awareness of what the New Orleans resistance movement was. And when you go to talk about the resistance movement, New Orleans is a stronghold, mm. and it's never talked about on the national or international stage. You hear about Birmingham, right. you hear about Mississippi, right. you hear about you know uh, Georgia, but you know Martin Luther King took su- the presidency of the Southern Christian leadership here at New Zion Baptist Church. So people don't talk about the centrifuge of the integral and pivotal role that New Orleans played, and that these four girls became the legacy because you see the day that they winded up on the news, it was worldwide. Right. They right. they also, my main thing, the tagline is, is that they rocked this nation to its core and they moved the world because they started receiving letters from around the world. They shot up through the stratosphere mm. and they shined a bright light on New Orleans that it was a hurricane happening at the time. Congress of Racial Equality, NAACP Youth Coalition, these four little girls, and they all bought it home for one man who was the first freedom rider, Homer Plessy. You know, that's, that's, that's interesting from a historical standpoint. Uh, New Orleans has played such, and it's 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 so uh, it's, it's it's just like it's a it's a secret that people don't really know about. New Orleans has played such a role in from Jim Crow to the Civil Rights Movement, just like you just spoke about Homer Plessy. That wasn't. What was it, 1896 or something, Freddie? Somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Mm-hmm. I, I read it in law school. I know. Yes. That's one of the cases we studied in law school. And people don't really see, I mean, for us as, as, as lawyers, 
we Plessy v. Ferguson is just like like it's just a quintessential case that you study in law school. But that happened right here in New Orleans. They got a plaque right. It was right in the uh, the, the what is it, uh, the Marinette Knife War, yeah. I guess you can call it. And you know the history and the history of, of the Plessy situation. The reason that it's so uh, it's such an important and pivotal case is that. Mr. Plessy didn't look like me and you. No, indeed. You know what he, I mean? He could have passed for white if he wanted to. You know, and that's, that was just how deeply ingrained and how entrenched, you know, Jim Crow and all of that that was for uh, for the city in, in New Orleans. Again, with it, the being the melting pot that it was, it's a great, it's, it was a great proving ground and testing ground. Yeah. And Petri did for, for some of these, uh, what, what, what did you refer to it as? The, the protest? What do you call it? You, just, you said it was kind of fascinating. It's like a hurricane that was happening here. Right. And these girls were like the tornado that touched down. Boom. You okay. understand? Because they just upset. They upset the Jim Crow. They defied the Jim Crow. And they were just six. There were six. And at that time, you know, the United States was trying to go to that Cold War with Russia. Right. And they were trying to get allies, you see. And then when they saw them little girls being yelled at and spit at and cussed at, like they were like, wait, hold up. No, America, <laughs> how are we going to align with you? And that's how you treat your citizens right, right, right now. Right, right, So Eisenhower, you know, that administration, they were just shying it, shying down the civil rights movement. And that's when the federal courts had to take over. And uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, the premise of that argument was Plessy versus Ferguson. Right. Yes. It's, it's, it all comes full circle. Um, so why don't you do this for us? You know, you're working on this project. Give us the information uh that we could use to, to kind of get some more, do some more research and see what you guys are working on. Well, right now, the, 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 uh, uh, to, tomorrow night, we're going to be doing a private screening of mm-hmm. where we are right now. Ida had to do a hiccup. We suffered some issues at the studio, but we're getting back on track again okay. uh, to complete the actual production. But we're going to do a private screening at Ashe Cultural Center tomorrow night. Um, so you Ashe. can go to, yeah, Ashe. You can go to New Orleans for spell out the number for legacy.com. And there you can get more information on it. And if you want to see the teaser or want to see the screener, you can email me and then we can set up a time based on how we can put the private screening because we, we want to air it for Women's History Month. Absolutely. That's a wonderful situation. And, you know, like I said before, Ms. Tate, it's always an honor and a privilege to sit next to you and definitely to talk to you and, and just discuss, you know, some of the things that you're doing to keep this moment in time, this very pivotal moment in time alive and educate people about, you know, what you all went through and how it changed America and changed New Orleans. And that's, that's just a wonderful situation. We really appreciate it. So uh, before we let you guys go, I want to talk about the weekend a little bit more, give people more information um, I also want, you know, I know you guys, the organization is taking, always taking donations. So it's always great to put that information out there so we can, you know, keep that funding going and you guys can continue to do the outreach and the programming that y'all do. So just just give us another rundown about that. <laughs> Tremaine, Tremaine ran off. She normally has an agenda down pat, but go ahead. So this weekend we have the, uh, what is the 61st? 61st anniversary okay. of the New Orleans Public School Desegregation, which is Sunday. November Sunday. 14th. Okay. That's the anniversary? Yeah, Sunday. That's the anniversary. November 14th. Yeah. Okay. Um, we also had a proclamation done on last year, and it's now the New Orleans Four Day. Wow. Um, New Orleans Four Day. Right. So 
um, Friday night you gave your rundown of where to register for that. Um, did you say where to register? Oh, uh, yeah, NewOrleansForLegacy.com. And um, Saturday, I mean Sunday, you'll have to register also. If you do um, info at ChepCenter.org, um, you can register for the church service. Okay. Um, we'll motorcade back to the school where there will be a program. So um, what's happening Sunday, uh, November the 14th, is it's almost like the reenactment of the day that they arrived with the U.S. Marshals. But what we're going to do, of course, is modernize. It's not the Ford vehicles. It'll be the SUVs, but they'll be arriving with the U.S. Marshal procession uh, back to the, the renovated McDonough 19. This is soon to be the awesome. home of New Orleans' first I say Civil Rights Interpretive Center, but it'll be named after the three girls, Tate, Etienne, and Prevost Interpretive Center. So they will go up the stairs with the U.S. Marshals once again, and this time the crowd will be cheering them on. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed, yes, indeed. If, if I may say real quick, Miss Tate, yes. I'm glad to hear about your story. You always hear about Miss Ruby Bridges, and mm-hmm. I read that story to my daughters, and we we discuss it. And to know that it was actually four, I, I'm kind of embarrassed. I just thought it was one. I realized yes. it's four, and I will uh, should be glad to hear that I met you and had a chance to talk to you because she knows the Ruby Bridges stories inside. Mm-hmm. I read the books and watch the movie. Um, so, again, just great to be in the presence of history. Uh, it's, it's very rare that you get that opportunity, so, so thank you for being here. Yeah, and so the Thank main the, that's the main thing. Um, <laughs> we all know historical negation. Yeah, and the definition of historical negation is illegitimate revision of history. And so when we we can depend on the white people to negate us for our contributions, but me, I cannot understand how historians and the president of the United States even made this egregious mistake of. Mm-hmm not recognizing and finding out the full story of what happened on the morning of November 14th, 1960. Four six-year-old girls, Leona Tate, Ruby Bridges, Gail Etienne, and Tessie Prevost. They became the first African-Americans to integrate public elementary schools in New Orleans and the Deep South. That's heavy. And following that program, we will have a short reception, and that will be behind us. I love receptions. What y'all going to have? (laughs) It's it's Sunday too, huh? Oh, it's gonna be some good stuff then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Listen, that's Freddie. One of the things is that this project is so amazing because it sheds a light on a part of the history that everybody doesn't know, and that's what we have to do. Like we can't, you know. uh, Braylon and I were just talking about this on the way over here. You can't let history die. You have to educate children and the future generations on what we went through in order for them to appreciate. You know what, where they are, and what opportunities they have. And that's what the Tep Center is going to be about. Yeah. Exactly. The exhibit is exactly. going to have the history forever, and the kids right. can actually understand the full context. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing, ladies. So glad to have y'all here, Miss Tate. You. you know you, my girl. I love seeing <laughs> you. I appreciate everything you're doing. You know we're we're definitely going to continue to support you. Listen, I'm looking. I want I want you to come back so I want to talk talk more about some of the projects you've done in the past and what you're gonna you know do. That's you know I'm kind of like I nerd out on stuff like that. So oh. we definitely got to get you back on. The get, show. get ready for the information uh, to you, unload. You remind me of one of my teeth is 
Because she, boy, she got some stuff to tell you about black history. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Is she I love here? It. She here? No, no, no. She's in, she's in, she's in Tennessee. She's a nurse practitioner in Tennessee. And she, uh, she has dreads that come down to the back of her knees. And they always mess with her, but see, she's so brilliant, they can't do nothing about it. Not a thing. Not a thing. Not a thing. <laughs> That's a wonderful I love thing. it. I love yes. it. Well, I'm glad you guys came. We'll see y'all soon. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to be there to support you all this weekend. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. So nice meeting you. Yes, ma'am. Y'all thank look, you. yeah. Thank you. Okay. So, thank you. So we're going we're gonna to go into... Uh, discussing uh, some of the issues that are going on in District C. Yes. So, um, Mr. King is here. We have a couple of other candidates, uh, Mr. Musgrove, Mr. Mulligan, and Mr. Perez. And we're going to bring them in to, to have some discussions with us and talk about some of the things that uh, are going on in the district and what they're concerned about and what their platforms are as we move closer to election Saturday. The election is this Saturday. Um, what's, what's, what date is that? The 11th? No. What's, the 13th. The 13th. 13th. So make sure you guys get out and vote. Make sure you guys are part of the solution. You know, you can't really complain if you're not letting your voice be heard by casting your ballot. Um, this is Down by Law, hosted by Daryl Gray. We have a lot of guests. a lot of fast-moving stuff. You know, we normally have just a couple of guys and we a couple of guests, and we just kind of talk for an hour, but we're trying to fit in a lot of information for you all so you can be educated as you move toward the polls. So 504-582-9422. If you have any questions about from any of the candidates, candidates that are coming into the studio right now to talk about the uh, election coming up in District C, and we know for a fact that we're going to have somebody new sitting in their seat because um, everybody here is uh, new and there's no incumbent, right? Uh, Ms. Palmer uh, termed out. Vacated the seat. Vacated. Okay, so she went for the at-large and yeah. vacated the seat. Yeah. All right. So we're waiting on Mr. Mulligan. Okay. All right. Well, let's roll. Mr. Mulligan is here. Hey, why don't you give us a little information? No. No, I'm Mossgrove. Mr. Mossgrove, I'm sorry about that. Why don't you give us a little information and tell us about your bio, and then we're going to talk about some of the things that you guys want to see change in District C. Sure. Yes, sir. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Stephen Mossgrove. I'm a candidate for New Orleans City Council District C. Uh, I grew up in New Orleans. I grew up in the Algiers section of New Orleans. I live there now. Um, I've chosen public service as uh, my life journey, my life as life choices. Um, and I've worked in uh, public service uh, for the better half of the last 20 years. Um, but starting upon my return uh, to New Orleans in 1993 from college uh, up north, um, I returned to New Orleans at a time where I didn't want to be a part of uh, the, the migration and the, and, 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 and the challenges that come from that. Uh, and, and, you know, I advocated for significant uh, change um, during those years right out of school, um, participating in, in creating a book called The Challenge of Change um, in, in those days. And, and, and I like to think that we, uh, the team that I was on and, 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 and producing that uh, – that perspective uh, helped to create uh, some uh, consciousness uh, within the, within the community about what type of leadership we needed, about the issues that were important, important like economic diversification, city government that focused on people and community, and and that functioned. Um, and and so, 
you know, years later, I would uh, get a position working for a councilwoman in, in District E for Cynthia Willow Lewis. And then I was in uh, the mayor's office uh, in the economic development space before Katrina and then worked in public service in a disaster recovery capacity for really 13 years. Uh, uh, state, federal government, a private firm, and uh, a large nonprofit. Then returned to city government. Um, a, a few years ago, working in the mayor's neighborhood engagement office, assigned to District A, uh, and as a as a as a as a man from District C, I like to serve District C. Right. Um, so A E and, and trying to get to C now. So okay, and you know, I, it's it's an interesting uh, dynamic with, that I see with this district because it's a wide ranging yes. district that incorporates and encompasses what Algiers. Yes. The whole entire French Quarter, right? Yes. And then Bywater. Marinitra Bay, St. Rock. So from an economic standpoint, I like to consider this district the money district. It's the crown jewel. It's the French Quarter. I think the crown jewel for the city of, I mean, for the state of Louisiana, definitely the city of New Orleans is the French Quarter. It's our economic engine for the most part. It's what everybody around the world knows New Orleans for. Yes. So this is a very, very, very important race. Um, as it relates to the economic future and growth of our great city. So I'm glad that we have some candidates who completely understand and embody um, some of the things that we want to see in their district. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, we have, we have Freddie here. We have Mr. Uh, Steven Mossgrove. Mossgrove. So we're, let's talk about what you guys want to see happen in the district. I know Freddie, you've lived in the district your entire life. You were born and raised there, right? That's worked correct. in, worked for, um, worked in the district. Worked in the district, have a small law firm in in Algiers on Newton Street. I'm born and raised in in Algiers. That's 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 all I know. Um, personal investment is definitely there. Personal investment, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. You know, raising my kids there. Right. You want, and that's that's what you want as a you know as a resident. You want to be able, want to know that, that that who's representing you on city council and government knows and appreciates you know your everyday life in that district. So that's great. Um, so let's talk about it. Like, you know, it, some of the issues that let's talk about the good things first. We already mentioned that it's an economic powerhouse. You know, I think that, you know, so many business people are interested in what happens and who's sitting in their seat because of how it kind of dictates the ebb and flow of, of the financial health of the city. So, um, you know, we have that. You got home ownership. Algiers is a historic area that I think is super underrated because people don't understand the architecture and the, the age of the homes and the environment over there in Algiers, which I think is, is wonderful. Um, then you got the Treme, which is obviously the one of the, you know, it's the oldest black neighborhood in America. So you got all these in the Bywater, which is, which is, has had such a resurgence since Katrina. You have all of these different neighborhoods and interests that, Kind of, we, we how do you, how do y'all plan to align it, Freddie? How do you think that you're going to be able to serve the people of that district and, and make it to where it's, it's better than it is now? Well, I, I think experience matters. I, I have experience working in District C as constituent service director for for three years, so I understand the complexities of the district. I understand that Algiers, Bywater, Marinette, they all are like individual cities. Um, so you 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 have to be able to be accessible to um to meet the neighbors, not have come to you, but go to them to find out what their needs are, what their wants are, and to find out how to make their city better. And I think the experience that I bring to bring with me 
um, is, is how we're going to make that happen. Just going to meet people where they are and find out how can I make your your neighborhood better. We make the neighborhood better. The district is better. The rising tide you know, lifts all ships. Right. So, Stephen, same thing to you. Yeah. What like what what are you sure. hearing? What what do you think is gonna what needs to happen to make the district a better place? Well, I think y'all have touched upon you know being accessible, and I think that's that is very important. And as as someone who uh, lives his life uh, attuned to to others, right? I, 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 selflessness is one of my core values, and um, and I look to community. I look to people, um, and I'm I'm more interested in 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 in, in them than in, in my own interest and, and whether it's political or economic. And so I think it's very important as someone who has lives in that, lives that life and, 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 and just is wired that way um, to, to be attentive and to, to know the issues in our city. Our district is very complex. It is, it is, it is amazingly complex. And, um, but I also think that it, it represents the the whole of the city very well because of that complexity and diversity, and um, and so, you know, I've grown up in the district. I'm a, I'm attentive to our community as a whole, um, and so I know the issues. And a lot of the district's issues are shared. Um, there are some unique ones, and there and there are some shared ones um, throughout the rest of the city. So that's very important. Accessibility is um, something I talk about in the campaign trail quite a bit. Um, I, I, one of the things I promise, uh, folks as I campaign is to be at every neighborhood association or every civic association meeting every month in this present council. There is only one council person who does that. And that's, uh, district A's Joe Jeruso. So, um, uh, I, and, and I've worked in that space in the mayor's neighborhood engagement office going to those meetings, um, in district A. So I've seen, I've seen him do it. Um, and I think there's a lot of value um, to uh, to doing that as a council person. Um, and that's a level of accessibility I'm promising, and I'm, I'm very much wired to to perform and, and able to perform. Okay, great. And, you know, I think that's that's probably one of the most important things. People, wanna, people need to know that they can reach out to um, their elected officials and have a, a real conversation. That's meaningful. Um, you know, one of the things that I think that I've dis- discovered from – just the city in general, especially has been kind of it's been kind of highlighted since we had the trouble after uh, hurricane after hurricane Ida with the trash pickup. But I know that there's parts of the district that deals with like illegal dumping and things of that nature. And then we got some blight situations. Like Tim, what what parts of the district is that a greater concern for? And how do how do y'all plan on dealing with that? I'm gonna let you go first, Stephen. Yeah, and, and, and specific to those issues, blight and and dumping. Yes. Yeah, the cutoff uh, uh, endures um, uh, dumping and blight quite a bit. Now, blight is throughout throughout the district, right? Along General De Gaulle in particular, um, and that's problematic for any other quality of life or economic development. Um, uh, uh, goals that uh, a leader um, may have, whether they're civic or, or council or, or mayoral. And, um, but the cutoff, the, those quiet sections deep into the cutoff along the river road and, and elsewhere, um, you know, get, get targeted. Now there are some cameras um, over there and, and, and some of the residents um, in the neighborhood tell me that, uh, you know, dumping has been moderated and mitigated, a little bit, uh, but you know that's something that you have to always watch and, and be mindful of. 
because uh, when you look away, that's when uh, folks come back and right, play. Right. You know? So, um, but uh, but there there is blight throughout the, the throughout the district. I mentioned the Long General De Gaulle. That's kind of you know that commercial uh, blight or high density residential blight. But just um, homes, just little homes here and there throughout neighborhoods like Aurora Gardens and and um, and, and even mine. There are a couple, you know, there are a couple of, of houses that. Anyone live there, you know? And, yeah. and but they're not blighted. That's good. But um, but they're they're not in commerce. They're abandoned. But uh, yeah. So have you seen, Stephen? Have you seen any programs in other cities that kind of address those blight issues that we could we can incorporate here in New Orleans? Are, are there any programs that we yeah. currently have that could be yeah. um, more readily employed to kind of change what we're seeing? You know, I'm not sure if the solution is. Um, a, a, a new new programs per se, but something that I talk about over the decades, um, and I'm bringing forth as a candidate, um, uh, and I've d- brought forth as a staffer. But you know, sometimes you can lead the horse to water; you can't make make it drink. Right. Uh, but uh, but as a candidate, is um, city city functionality, city performing at a higher level, um, and and that's very important to me because I see. I, I, I believe that the correlation between a city government that knows what its job is and performs it well will strengthen neighborhoods. So for me, it's really about building the capacity of, of code enforcement, in particular safety and permits to some extent, um, and, and their ability to, to proactively inspect um, problems, to then adjudicate um, and, uh, and, and, and move properties through through the process the process for blight remediation or adjudication um, those processes are very slow and leadership has not really invested budgeted right um, uh, the, the right dollars to those departments for them to do their work um, as as assertively and aggressively as the people of New Orleans need them to do it yeah. And Freddie, like, you know, we talked about earlier, you've lived in the district, you live in the district, you've lived in the district your whole life. You've worked in the district, you know, from a, uh, from in, in, in government and as a, a business owner, a law firm, uh, an attorney, law firm owner, you know, some of these issues I'm, I know you've seen evolve and kind of ebb and flow, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? And, and how did, what do you, what do you plan to do in the event that you uh, have that power in your hand to, to help these people in the district and district C? Right. So, so, um, like Steve said, in the cutoff, there's a lot of dumping, not just the cutoff. You have McClendonville. Um, you have parts of the Auroras, a lot of places where, where the light doesn't shine. Uh, you mm-hmm. even have places on East Bank. Um, you go down Poland, there's a lot of dumping, a lot of illegal dumping and blight. So um, you, you mentioned other programs in other parts of the different cities. Well, I always say look right across the street, Jefferson Parish, on, on Wall Boulevard, behind uh, there's a new racetrack where you can go legally dump mm-hmm. your, your trash. Now we're not telling people to go dump their, their trash bag every day, but if you have a um, sofa, a love seat, you can go dump it for free. Um, you can go dump it for free in the city or the parish of Jefferson collects that trash. And um, you go down Sandra drive in Algiers off of the goal, one block from two blocks from our new police stations being built right behind the nursery. It's a two way street, but there's, there's so much dumping that uh, it turned into a one way street. Wow, and yeah. and it's it's pretty pretty frightening to, to drive down the walk down. You have kids walking down, so I think that's an easy fix. Just look what's happening right across the, the parish line, less than two miles away, 
And as far as blight, I'm not sure it's being done in other cities, but I would like to see a partnership with, with our first responders, with our NOPD officers, with our um, firemen, our, our healthcare professionals to, to, to look at some blight and say, look, it's been sitting here since Katrina. Um, can we work with a small bank, a Liberty Bank, a Iberia Bank, and get them um, a soft second mortgage and, and put those first responders in mm. these houses that's blighted. So you, you're adding to your, your police population, and you're also reducing blight. And I think you put those people in those neighborhoods where it's needed the most. Well, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty interesting concept that could, could pay dividends uh, for the area. And that kind of, that's a segue into uh, my final question I want to have for you guys before we bring a couple of other candidates in and that's dealing with crime. You know, you have, you have um, the French quarter, you have where you, you know, it's a, it's a tourist gym and that, you know, we definitely have to have some, have the proper, um, crime prevention there, but you also have these residential areas, which, you know, we have to kind of consider and deal with as well. So Freddie, mm-hmm. tell me what you're thinking in regards to dealing with crime in district C. Well, it's a citywide issue. And just, just yesterday, my, my wife, yesterday morning, she told me a gas tank was on E. She said, I realized it was on E last night, but I had to make the decision. Do I stop and get gas at night mm. or do I just risk it to ride home on an empty tank? Wow. And, uh, you know, that kind of hit me hard realizing she's not the only one. Uh, Absolutely. My that, wife's that, the same way. I got to make that decision. Do I get gas um, or do I go home and risk an empty tank? Mm. So crime is an issue. We have a lot of reasons why we have crime. So it's not going to be a one-trick pony to fix crime. Um, our economic development has to be better, more jobs. Education system has to be better. Um, it, it's, no, it's a correlation of better um, educated a, a child the less likely they are to commit right, crime. Right. So it's a lot of a lot of fixes, a lot of issues, and just ready to tackle them as many as I can once elected. Okay, Stephen, how do you feel? How do you feel about this situation? What's your plan to address uh, some of the some of the criminal ills that we suffer uh, from as a city? Yeah, the, there's absolutely not just one solution, and and I think that speaks to the fact that um, you know, as a community, we have to get serious. We have. I'm not sure we're, we're serious over the decades about um, uh, significantly lowering crime. So we have to get serious about that because there are so many um, factors that go into crime rates, um, and especially surging crime rates. And, and unless we work together as a community with the variety of resources um, and, 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 and talent that exist, um, we really won't make – um, New Orleans safe uh, consistently, right? Mm-hmm. Where we really, as a community, the city of New Orleans, the people of New Orleans have, um, for the most part, you know, become a safe city that's consistently safe. So education, um, you know, proper policing, parks and recreation, creating healthy children so they're um, healthy adults, um, uh, economic development, job opportunities, um, all of that comes into play. And I think at the end of the day, that's why you need leadership that is focused on community and focused on people and willing, willing to unite people and, 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 and really make demands of, of folks who have means and, and, and the opportunity um, to really um, swing us towards a better place. Um, and all of us working with resources and, and knowledge and know-how about the communities where crime um, uh, uh, you know, is abundant and how it affects all of us as a city in our future. 
um, we just need to work together and we need honest brokers and, and leadership um, to, to, to work on those, those uh, various factors. Okay. And we guys, we really appreciate you all coming. Yeah. Appreciate Thank you. Uh, glad to have you here. We're looking forward to the election results and um, it sounds as if uh, with you guys, and we're going to talk to two more candidates. District, District C is going to be in great hands. I Thank agree, you all. Man. We'll talk to you all Thank soon. Thank you, man. Thanks. Appreciate Thanks. the time. No problem. Yep. All right. We have now Mr. Mulligan. Milligan. Milligan. I'm sorry. And Mr. Perez. I got that one right. This has been a fast-moving episode. I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to this election, man. Because I'm so glad we got a chance to put some information out for, for people. Good morning, guys. How you guys doing? I'm doing great. Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, let's start with you, Mr. Perez. Why don't you give everybody your, your bio? And we gotta we gotta move fairly quickly through that because we gotta. I want y'all to talk about some of the issues. Sure. Uh, my name is Frank Perez. Um, I am a small business owner. Uh, I do a lot of nonprofit work. I'm a local author. Uh, I'm a tour guide. Uh, I wear a lot of different hats, but the one hat I've never worn is career politician. Uh, and uh, I am that. in the race because I'm, like so many of your listeners, frustrated with how dysfunctional city government is. I think we can do better. Okay. Mr. Milligan. I'm Vincent Milligan, um, number 48 on the ballot. I'm from Baton Rouge originally. I moved here after the flood in Baton Rouge. Um, I uh, and my partner have a couple of businesses in the city. Um, I am looking for uh, better government. I mean, it's, t- it's time we need new blood. Um, we uh, have been giving up our positions to the city government, and they haven't been doing uh, us right. So it's time to have people that listen to the people that are available to the people. I'm not a politician, uh, like Frank said, but uh, I do think that we could do better, and that's why I'm running. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. Let's unpack that a little bit. You know, what What are you hearing from the people? What are some of the complaints and some of the issues that they're, they're concerned about? Well, the main issues that um, uh, people are concerned about, of course, here is uh, poverty and, uh, and the violent crime. Then we have the flooding. We have the, the potholes that are always there have never been fixed with all of the politicians that's been through the billions of dollars from FEMA and, and um, from tourist taxes and things that uh, nothing's been done to the city that uh, can you can be proud of. We need a city that's that we could be proud of. I heard you calling New Orleans the crown jewel of Louisiana. I want it to be the jewel of the South, and it should be the jewel of the mm. South because it has the most history, the most beauty, and the most natural resources that are not being tapped. All right, Mr. Perez. Well, I've been knocking on doors all over the district, from uh, from Algiers to the Bywater to the French Quarter to Treme to St. Rock, everywhere. And, of course, everyone's concerned about crime. Everybody's frustrated with sewage and water board and energy. But what I hear everybody saying is they just want a city government that works for them. They want a council person who is accessible and responsive. And, uh, and I, that's what I keep hearing. And I, I think that's not too much to ask. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. I think that, you know, one of the things that, that is, going to reap the most benefits for whoever's in the seat is making yourself accessible and understanding the issues that the everyday people deal with. And, you know, I know district C and encompasses the French quarter and that's, you know, again, that's our economic powerhouse. But at the same time, there are also people that live in the French quarter. There are people that live in Algiers and, you know, even going all the way down to the cutoff and the Tremaine and the Bywater, all those different areas. And they all have that their shared interests that, that need to be addressed and dealt with. And, 
Mr. Milligan, like, what are you in terms of what people are saying specifically um, as it relates to, like, you know, just crime? What are they saying they, they want to see? Or what, what do you feel like needs to be done? Well, people want to be able to walk out of their house at night and not worry about being carjacked, stabbed, shot. Uh, they want to be able to go back into the French Quarter, which is part of our city, but uh, the um, locals don't want to go in there because they feel like uh, they're not safe. What we need to do is uh, we need to we need to raise the police salary to be in line with everyone else in the South. They have a very hard job. They have a lot of high crime. We're starting to get. Uh, in the top 10 of most violent crime per capita in the United States, um, they need their salaries raised. In January, they were furloughed, which really means defunded, because they were sent home without pay, without any time that they could come home. But guess who wasn't sent home? The criminals. They've uh, they've risen. Carjacking is up 228%. Yesterday, a 13-year-old got shot by a woman because he was trying to carjack her. So we need to uh, create bonuses for the people who left our uh, community to go to other parishes and work uh, and to try to get them back. And we need to uh, make the New Orleans Police Force a place where people from all over the United States would like to come and join instead of uh, instead of leave our police force. We need something to be proud of. And I think that if we uh, get diversity training and sensitivity training in there to help, that would help a lot to increase the uh, popularity of our police force. Mr. Perez, how do you feel about the same issue? How do you feel about how, how do we address the crime in the city in general, but specifically what do you plan to do if you're elected in District sure. C? There, that's, a, that's a complicated question, <clears throat> and there are long-term answers and short-term answers. Right. What I can tell you is in the short term, there are two very specific things we can do. We can bring back the Tiger teams that were disbanded in September of 2020 that were focused on carjackings and armed robberies. If you look at the crime stats, when those Tiger teams were disbanded, our carjackings and armed robberies skyrocketed. So I think we need to bring that back. We need to look at geographical crime you know, and center our efforts on where these, uh, these violent crimes are happening. But the other thing we can do immediately is enforce the curfew uh, because currently NOPD, I've had several officers tell me that they are under directions from the mayor not to enforce the curfew. And that would take an hour to explain, but it doesn't make sense to me because a lot of times these young kids don't need to be out in the middle of the night uh, and they're the ones who cause a lot of problems. So I think just enforcing the curfew would go a long way. And that raises another issue. What about holding some of these parents accountable? I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, in the French Quarter specifically, where I live, you have um, several um, groups of kids. Some people call them the drummer boys. Some of them call them different things. But what they'll do is they'll their parents will drop them off at the corner of Dauphine and St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And I've been walking down the street when I hear them getting out of the car, and the parents will tell them, if you don't make, you know, $500 tonight, I'm going to beat your, you know what, you know. Now, mm. I don't think that's good parenting. So why are those kids doing that? You don't say. <laughs> yeah, you follow what I'm saying? That's just one example of many. But there's got to be accountability. I mean, as far as crime goes long term, obviously we need to beef up NOPD. I think there's a lot of police issues that need to be dealt with. But I think we need to provide more educational and uh, economic opportunities for young people. Juvenile court needs to expand its services. And we really need a whole paradigm shift in the way we think about crime because I think we lock people up 
that don't need to be locked up. I agree with that. Agree. Speaking of speaking of economics, real quick, what do you want to see happen in the French Quarter from an economic standpoint? Well, it's a complex issue because the French Quarter is a very um, multi-layered ecosystem, if I could say that. Now, I happen to live in the French Quarter. I own a business in the French Quarter. I'm involved in the neighborhood organizations. So we obviously have tourism. Everybody thinks of that. Uh, but I think we can do tourism in a better, more smart way. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, right now, the only metric that the city uses to judge tourism is hotel occupancy. And that's fine. But let's look at some other metrics, like average daily spend. Let's, you know, instead of just getting weekend warriors from Mississippi and Texas that want to just get drunk on Bourbon Street, why don't we try to attract authentic culture seekers who want to learn and not just waste their money on Bourbon Street? Mr. Milligan, what do you feel about that? Well, you know, I live in the French Quarter also, and I've been affected um, business-wise, and so has my uh, partner who has two very successful uh, shoe boutiques in the French Quarter, and uh, income has gone down to about one-tenth of what we were making pre-COVID. I think that uh, the uh, city during the COVID uh, situation has been mismanaged. I think we need to have a better understanding of what's going on. We've had a low um, COVID rate throughout the entire uh, season of COVID, um, lower than a lot of other cities, but yet we have stronger restrictions and lockdowns, and the lockdowns will not allow the city to continue to thrive because many businesses, 60% of businesses in the New Orleans area, small businesses have shut down and moved to other cities, even just across to Jefferson Parish and other states, which is creating a, a, a a lull in tourism because there's nothing to uh, to see or do, and every time there's a, a hype for Halloween or New Year's or whatever, then we put on lockdown the week of when people have spent tens of thousands of dollars to prepare for these seasons, and then now they're shut down. So that's what's creating a big uh, economic downfall. The, uh, like you said, uh, New Orleans and uh, the French Quarter are the economic base for New Orleans, and it's suffered dramatically, and we can't continue to have these lockdowns because they're not helping anyone in the city at all. What's going to happen is uh, property value is going to be going up, which is going for a vote really soon. Um, I think that they're preparing to make a new property uh, millage in uh Real soon, that's going to be voted on in December, which is a low voter turnout. And uh, then maybe uh, people who uh, don't normally vote are going to go vote on it. And next thing you know, your property tax is higher than you think it was going to be because we're not getting the tax dollars that tourists spend here. We don't have the quality of tourists coming here because of the high crime. And so we're having the uh, weekenders, like Frank said. Well, well, listen, and I appreciate all the information (laughs) that you just gave us. And uh, we got to get out of here. This is a really quick moving segment of the show. District C is going to be in good hands. Guys, Mr. Perez, wonderful information. Mr. Milligan, also wonderful information. It's, it's clear that you guys have a grasp of what's going on. Why don't you give everybody your contact information if they want to, if they want to um, investigate more about your platform? Okay. Um, my quick. website is Milligan, the number four citycouncil.com. Uh, and my Facebook page is uh, Vincent Milligan for New Orleans City Council District C. You can get a lot of information there. And um, I'm number 48 on the ballot, Vincent Milligan, District C, number 48. Thank you, Vincent. If uh, Mr. Perez, what do you have for us? People can visit frankperezcitycouncil.com. Uh, a lot more information on the website uh, about affordable housing, energy, things we didn't get to talk about. I am number 50 on the ballot, Frank Perez. 
Thank you both for being here. We had a four of the or was it four yeah four of the candidates for District C. All of them had wonderful information. Down by Law is where you come to find out what's going on in New Orleans. So we'll see you guys next week. Next week, thanks so much. Thanks for having us.